Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and you're listening to another one of our World Perspectives episodes with Heartbeat International Program Specialist, Ellen Fell. And we spoke with Sandy Shoshani from Israel recently, so be sure to look back at previous episodes for that one. And the purpose of this short series is really to educate listeners in pro-life work on the different worldviews that might be encountered with clients. The more we understand how cultures impact a person's decisions on life and abortion issues, the better equipped we are to serve them. Speaking of educating ourselves on topics related to the work of the Pregnancy Help Movement, Heartbeat International has a conference coming up April 26th through 28th, 2023 in Louisville, Kentucky, where you can spend time in prayer with others who are doing the same work as you. You can take advantage of workshops and networking opportunities. It's such an amazing experience and we don't want you to miss it. Registration is open now at heartbeatservices.org. Ellen, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. And uh, can you tell us who you've brought on for today's episode? Yes, I'm happy to do that, Christine. It is a pleasure to be here with the Heartbeat friends and family and to share with them the wisdom and experience of our guest today, George Husni, who is the founder and the director of president of Horizons International, which is a a not-for-profit mission serving in several countries in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Um, George has uh, got a, a global staff and team, and they together strive to awaken the church to the task of proclaiming the gospel, discipling the nations, and equipping the church. I want to share a little bit about George's background because it's so fascinating to me. I uh, heard his story when I was on a trip with him to the Ukraine recently, and he just has uh, an amazing background. Briefly, George uh, was born and raised in the Muslim city of Tripoli, Lebanon. He was converted as a teen, and he um, soon thereafter sensed God calling him to full-time ministry among Muslims. And since that time, for uh, 50 years, he has been involved in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. He is well known for his uh, most significant work leading the translation and publication of the Bible in Arabic and Kurdish. He is an author, and his latest book, Engaging Islam, has been broadly distributed and is used as a textbook in uh, seminaries and Bible schools. And he has also developed several training curricula, including um, engaging Islam for church members and missionaries, uh, for Christians from Muslim backgrounds, and the Christian family for converts. Uh, George leads the uh, anybody that I know of the number of countries he has visited. And uh, at last count, it was at 110 countries. But his heart is really to reach Muslims with the good news. And so... The beautiful thing is George is going to bring us a global perspective uh, primarily today on um, how the the Muslim culture and the worldview, uh, what the worldview is on family, on life, and on abortion, and what God is doing around the world. George, thank you so much for your time today. Come and uh, come and help us understand how to help our clients. It's a pleasure to have you today. Thank you. It is my privilege to be with you, and I really love being with you in Ukraine. And uh, God kind of linked our hearts together. We have the same heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Thanks for that shout out. <laughs> <laughs> 
So George, let me ask you uh, my my initial question, which is basically from, uh, as we know, from a, everybody has a worldview, uh, whether they recognize it or articulate or not, everybody has a worldview. And from the Christian worldview, God is the primary reality. From a Muslim perspective, what is the, the primary reality? Well, uh, although Muslims and Christians do believe in God, the creator, the Muslim focus in their worldview is Muhammad himself. To the extent that you, uh, you would hear people cursing God and nobody twitch, you know, twitches an eye about that. But if they curse Muhammad, you could be killed for it. So Muhammad as their founder, as the leader, uh, there's some kind of a psychological hero worship of Muhammad. He's more uh, tangible than God. Their view of God is why uh, Muhammad is more primary than God himself. Now, if a Muslim hears me and says, oh, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? They do believe in God. But the God of Islam is a distant God, distant, far removed from his creation. It's more taken from the Greek uh, concept of the unmoved mover, that God moved the world, but he is unmoved himself. He's sitting on a throne somewhere far away and is not really interested in being with us, like the Christian God is eminent as well as transcendent. Eminent meaning he is with us. And uh, Isaiah 57, 15 says, I live in a high and lofty place. That's God saying that but also with him who is contrite and humble in heart. So we have the two aspects of God, the far and the near, mm. the transcendent and the imminent. But in Islam, God is only transcendent. He is far away. One time I was uh, witnessing to an imam. Imam is a leader of a mosque, uh, like a priest would be in a church or a pastor. And I just uh, casually said, you know, God is everywhere, because he was questioning what, what happens uh, in heaven when God came down to earth, because I was telling him God's love, he's humble God, you know, I was explaining the Christian view of God. And I said, well, God is everywhere. Uh, you know, he, can, he, he doesn't leave heaven if he comes to earth, because he's now in China, and he is in Mexico, and he's in the U.S., he's in Lebanon. He's everywhere. He said, no, God is not everywhere. I said, well, I was shocked by that, actually. So I said, uh, what do you mean? He said, let me prove to you that God cannot be everywhere. Because if he were everywhere, he would be in the toilet. And that's impossible. So I said, <laughs> well, I was surprised. But later on, I realized the toilet is a big deal for Islam. It's like uh, mm -hmm. how you get into the bathroom. You have a step with the left foot and you get out with the right foot and God does not uh, is not present in that uh, bathroom toilet not necessarily the seat but in the bathroom mm -hmm. so you door the door the clo you close the door and you are there without God and I said to him listen I am so thankful that my God goes with me wherever I go even to the toilet <laughs> <laughs> uh, later on, uh, someone uh, who was considering Christianity, I was witnessing to her, she's a Saudi Arabian woman, 
She said, you know, I like to stay in the bathroom longer because there I don't have God watching me. And so there is that concept of God being aloof, far, unknowable, unapproachable. Unknowable meaning you don't really know him, uh, but you know about him, that he is a great big God. He's the creator and uh, omnipotent, strong, powerful, and so on. Uh, what they lack is that image of God as the humble uh, servant who came and the, the, the you know, man of sorrows kind mm -hmm. of God through Jesus Christ incarnation. But Muhammad is a real person. They have, uh, you know, the original Muslims who were uh, like the disciples, they call them Sahaba, which means companions to Muhammad. They looked at him almost as a god, because they didn't have a god. It's a, it's a pagan society. Islam uh, emerged out of a pagan society. And so they didn't have a clear concept of deity. And Muhammad became that deity uh, to them. And he is still that way today. He's uh, mm -hmm. honored, and, uh, and, and he couldn't do anything wrong. Uh, even when he's, he's committed crimes, he's, uh, you know, I don't want to insult anybody listening now from Islam, but whatever he's done is right. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it doesn't really fit uh, even logic or morality. And so that is the worldview. And I probably went longer than you wanted me to on this topic. No, no, that was actually really fascinating. Uh, but but it did raise a question for me. So if a uh, a Muslim uh, came into a pregnancy help center, and mm. it does it does happen, because most of course. yeah of course. you know the, it 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 occurs. So if a consultant or a woman um, seeking to help a, a Muslim woman started talking about God in the middle of that conversation and God's grace, would that be offensive to a Muslim woman who doesn't have a context of a God who draws near? Not at all, because um, what you don't know, you don't know. And what you don't know becomes a surprise to you. And the Christian message is not only a surprise, but it's a good surprise. Mm -hmm. And the emphasis um, I'll give you an example. I spoke to 200 women in a women's gathering for two hours on a Wednesday morning in Beirut. These were mostly refugees who have been, who've lost husbands, lost children, mm. lost houses, and so on. And they came to our refugee center in Beirut. So the leader of that group uh, asked me to speak to them. And I said, what do you want me to talk about? To talk about God's love. I said, okay, that's easy. <laughs> so I got in and I began to ask the ladies, 200 of them, what is your concept of God? And you can't believe, even with tears, they were talking about how they're frightened of God. And when they pray, they feel that they, God is, is watching for any little mistake they make. Like, forgive me for saying, if they let wind, God is very upset mm -hmm. with during the prayer. So they have to repeat it. They have to go and wash themselves again because they have made their prayers impure. 
and oh. and if they if they get distracted if somebody's passing by and they look that way they have to do that again and so there's that fear of this god who's watching them mm. so tightly and uh, you may be surprised at this this fear is what motivates a lot of the terrorists to join terrorist islamic terrorist groups because the only way god can be pleased with you in a clear 100% way not 100% mostly i would say more more likely he'd be pleased with you if you would die in in a battle for islam and so uh, when uh, these women were be, uh, beginning to talk some of them were crying and some of them were saying you know their concept of god came from the uh, experience the bad experience of their abusive father or uncle or brother or some male a teacher or you know a rapist and so that's their view of 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 deity so that took about an hour of listening to them and then i said let me tell you about the god who loves you mm. and that turned uh, painful tears to incredibly happy tears of course over an hour of speaking about god's love and i said god created you in his image you are created as a beautiful person because god is beautiful and he created you just like he created man and don't allow any man to take that away from you satan mm. wants to steal that from you and so the christian message really elevates women and makes them feel um, special to god and special to themselves gives them value and self-worth and self-esteem and we have seen uh, 70% of the converts are women because uh, they in islam uh, the muslim world view about women is that they are a property of the man Mm-hmm. and a property is like you would buy uh, i'm sorry to say a donkey or a horse or or a dog or or a piece of furniture and they can do now i'm not saying every muslim thinks that way but that is the islamic kind of standard um world view mm-hmm. and so women are not well valued so many of them have been abused very very radically uh, violently by by men even their own parents their own mm. father and and siblings and so on well that actually uh seems to provide a a beautiful platform that women ministering to other women in the pregnancy help center can 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 kind of step into when you think about uh, the message of being made in the image of god having dignity because we're made in the image of god mm-hmm. that that is would be really a point of good news and, and as you've said you know surprising good news for for women coming into centers yeah addition to the image of god is god loves you amen i, I recommend also not uh, you're asking would they be offended in fact the more you talk about god in a way that surprises them the more they want to know about mm-hmm. him and i recommend you open the bible and not just talk god is love oh that's your opinion no it's not my opinion it's what the word of god says mm. 
or that God created you in his image. That's your opinion. To, to make it really a strong message that's from God himself, open a Bible to those verses in Genesis and about God's love in the New Testament throughout the Bible as well, and, uh, and, sh and let them read it if they can read. If they cannot read, you read it to them. And the, but I usually put the Bible in their hand, and I point to the verse with my finger and say, could you read this mm. to us? And they read it. And um, if they're Arabs, uh, we have an Arabic-English Bible. So we have the missionary reading the English and the Arab reading the Arabic Bible. That doesn't have to be multilingual. And that is so powerful to see that God said, I'm creating man and woman, male and female. He created them. Not, not that man is in God's image and a woman is a servant of man, but he, they're both created in his image. And then you can talk about uh, his love in the New Testament. So when, um, all right, putting myself in the place of uh, a consultant X in such and such a pregnancy help center and a Muslim woman comes in, my um, inhibition would be, gosh, I don't know anything about the Quran. I don't know what the Quran says about life or, and what if they come back to me and say, well, what about this that it says in the Quran? So can you explain, I guess, first of all, how well, I don't how, how, how common do you need is to it? Know? Yes. Oh, yeah. About uh, the Quran Islam. Actually, I have, I differ from a lot of missionaries, uh, theories or methodology in that, especially if you don't really know the Quran, don't pretend you do. And if you read even in my book or any other book, a few verses here and there, and you begin to share them, you don't really know the context. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's better to avoid that. Now, if you want to become an expert in Islam, go ahead and learn it. But don't, don't share something you're not sure about. And then you could be embarrassed because they know more than you do. And they challenge you that, no, that's not what it means. So uh, I would recommend to uh, stay away from Islam and the Quran. And, uh, mm -hmm. some, uh, and I'm talking as someone who has led thousands to the Lord from Islam over my 50 years of ministry. It's not just one here or there. I'm not talking about individual cases, but as a general practice. Although there are those who attack Islam and they, you know, God bless them. But I personally don't attack Islam. I pretend almost, not in a deceptive way, that I don't know the Quran. And if you have a woman in your clinic that faces a Muslim woman, you definitely are a Christian. They expect you not to know anything about Islam. And just they expect you to know about your faith. So just share your faith, and whatever they say about Islam, say, mm, that's interesting, yeah, I'd like to know more about that or something. But don't delve or get deeper into that, and avoid those difficult questions by saying, you know, one woman who later, after six years, became a Christian, 
uh, insisted I tell her what I think about Muhammad and the Quran. And I refused to tell her. I said, you tell me about the Quran, I tell you about the Bible. You tell me about Muhammad, I'll tell you about Jesus. Mm. And that really saved me from a lot of um, arguments and trying to persuade her or to show that I hate Islam or I, you know, I'm trying to attack Islam because my interest is not to have people leave Islam. My interest is to draw them to Christ. And there's a big difference. They could leave Islam and be empty. Like Jesus says, the heart, if it, you know, the demon gets out and there's no replacement, the word of God is not there, the Holy Spirit is not there, seven more demons will come and the end of this person will be worse than its beginning. Mm. But my interest is to show the love of God and what God can do for them, forgive their sin, give them eternal life, um, give them a good life and dignity. And then they are more attracted to that. Well, let me uh, stop you there for a moment. Uh, I have, uh, uh, I, I know I gave you 10 questions I was going to ask you. Um, every time you say something, I've got another 10 questions that uh, just popped into my head. So one of my questions is what, what is, for instance, the Muslim view or definition of, of right, wrong, or sin? Very, very good question. Uh, according to Islamic theology, and Muslims may differ in their own opinion about it, but the, the standard thinking and teaching is that man is created neutral. In fact, good. Mm. And society corrupts. When there is corruption, it's a society. And the solution, uh, which is an answer to your question, what is right and wrong, there is a list of rights and wrongs. They call them halal and haram. You know the word halal uh, for meat, but it's used for morality as well. Ah. So, so sin is the opposite of halal, which is haram. Haram is forbidden. And halal means uh, permissible, allowed. Mm -hmm. So you're allowed to eat meat that is uh, slaughtered in a Muslim way. That's why it's used as uh, that word for that. But also there's a list of the good things you do and the bad things you do. And if, they, if, if you do something bad that's not on this list, it's not bad. Uh, it's just, you know, you want to do it, you're fine, you're free, because it's not, it's not on a list. And there are two categories of sin. One is the major ones. And there's the minor ones. Major ones are very serious. The minor ones, you can, you know, God just ignores them. It's not a big deal. So uh, what I share with Muslims in this uh, area is that uh, Jesus said in Mark 7, out of the heart come all those evil things. Evil is not something outside of you that you do. It starts with your mind and your heart. And if the heart is evil, sinful, that shows the fruit is, is sinful as well. And why, are, why is there so much sin in the world? Why is there so much hatred, so much violence, so much uh, lying and deception, and even from religious leaders? It's because the heart is not right with God. And the only way is the uh, the uh, cleansing of the heart 
through the blood of Jesus Christ, which is like the detergent to a shirt that you want to clean. Mm -hmm. And so your heart needs to be cleaned. And uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, he, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse, forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all righteousness. That's the only way to please God, is to be cleansed from inside out. So in the um, context of pregnancy help work, we're really talking about um, two harams, <laughs> Uh, yeah. the the forbidden uh one would be um uh the um lack of sexual integrity mm-hmm. and the second one would be abortion um so what what would the are those seen in islam as haram actually it's more of a cultural shame issue Than a religion. Okay. Because in Islamic religion, and I'm sorry for, I apologize to Muslims watching this, is that uh, sex is not, uh, is not a haram thing. Um, and you need to know who you're dealing with. Are you dealing with a Shiite or a Sunni? The Shiites have, uh, have a legalized prostitution. Uh, and I put it between quotes legalized by God. Uh, one guy bluntly on TV, a few months ago, I watched a, a Lebanese uh, TV station. He said, I have been married uh, to 500 women. And that is, uh, that is acceptable. This is called temporary marriage. And the better word is the pleasure marriage. So you are allowed as a man Because man is ma- women are made for the pleasure of the man. And so man is allowed legally four wives in permanent marriage, an unlimited number of women in pleasure temporary marriage. And that is regulated, and they have to actually uh, reveal their intention to only have sex with that person for an agreed amount of time. It could be 15 minutes to 15 months, you know, one hour, one day, two days. It's really prostitution, but it's accepted by Islam to please the man. It's a man-centered religion. Uh, the Sunnis have something like that, but they, it, it's more regulated. It's a little bit more complicated. So the issue of a woman having a baby out of wedlock is more of a shame issue, shame of the parents, of the, of the neighborhood or the family. And so they seek abortion to avoid that shame. It's not a guilt for having sex, but a shame that they did it without the knowledge of the parents or without the legal approval of the mosque or the leader of the uh, Islamic leader in their community. Well, that is eye-opening. Uh, my, our, our listeners can't see this, but my jaw is literally on the floor. Um, <laughs> I am learning quite a lot. So yeah. I, I guess my question is, what is the approach 
I recognize that you're 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 a man, and I recognize that you, uh, you know, don't don't necessarily minister in the context of pregnancy help. But how would we uh, how would we approach Person. that Person. woman? Yeah, there's no easy solution to shame uh, except forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And um, if she could find uh, uh, in her heart to confess, you know, and get to receive confidence from God, that's for her own peace of mind and heart. But in regard to the society, it's very difficult. We have something called honor killings, very, very common. Um, there is no way you can uh, persuade a father that his daughter um, deserves to live if she had done something out of uh, out of uh, out of line. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been uh, there have been women known to have been killed by their own brother, uncle, or father, whoever is uh, more uh, more uh, Islamic than the other in the family, or even seeing seeing the uh, woman on the street talking to a man. Not necessarily they've had any relationship, just seeing some, they come and shoot her or take her and slaughter her in an Islamic way. I'm not saying every case is like that, but it's frequent. It's very frequent, it's honor killing. So the best thing is to shelter those people, mm. to have them uh, in, uh, in safe houses, in safe shelters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it may mean they will be removed from their family for years and years mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes it's possible the father finally accepts especially when they have babies and they desire to hear the word grandfather or something mm-hmm. but uh, more likely that the father will never accept mm-hmm. and she'll never be accepted back in the, in the family so Christians need to be willing to accept such a woman, and find uh, even homes, find them jobs, help them to uh, legally uh, adopt their children or move to another country, to another city, things like that. So that is the common. Now, I'm not saying every case is like that. So Mm -hmm. it's best to know from that woman, what is your situation? What's your family situation? What is your neighborhood? Can you go back home? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to do abortion? Are there any other options for you to live? And uh, also the issue of uh, she needs to be more aware because right now her pregnancy is the most important thing. She needs to be aware of what are the consequences, not only of an abortion, but also after the abortion, going home and then being married to someone who realized she's not virgin. And that is another shame issue. So, um, so that needs to be customized to the person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on a one on a case by case basis. Right. Well, you have brought up a really interesting point, which is the, um, which, which, many of the heartbeat affiliates address, which is providing um, alternate uh, living situation um, and, and offering that as an alternative to abortion. 
Um, and we do have many maternity homes um, which provide that uh, option for which we're thankful. Um, but if, if I'm hearing as well, it's the Islamic, maybe it's not Islamic, maybe it's the Middle Eastern, for lack of a better word, or the Arabic view of family and how hard it would be for a woman to make the decision to, let's say, if she was having pressure to have the abortion or she didn't, whether that's internal pressure or external pressure, that there's a, a need for almost a substitute family because the family is so important. Is that, can you talk about that a little bit? That's exactly what I meant by saying they may not be able to go back and uh, mm. reconcile with the family. There's one thing I need to qualify. The uh, muta marriage, the uh, pleasure marriage, is mostly men. And they, they, there is a, uh, there's what's called uh, muta uh, tourism. So they go to certain countries to have women who are not from their neighborhood or from their family, so they will not be, you know, shamed, those women. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are some women who leave their homes because they have been uh, either uh, violated, raped, or by own choice slept with somebody, and they leave and go to another city or another country, and they, the next thing for them, they think the only option is to get into muta marriage business. So they, huh. they start um, soliciting men to pay them um, to have sex with them. So that is another social ill of the Muslim culture. But in terms of family, yes, we do need to, to uh, provide another family for them. And the church is a wonderful family. And there should be people in the church who could host. And those be, can be given jobs, can be nannies, can be cleaners, can be, if they are educated, they can find a job in the community and then go on their own later on. Mm. It seems to me from everything that I'm hearing you say, George, that a Muslim woman, frankly, coming into a life-affirming organization for help it really is an opportunity for her to hear life-changing good news. Amen. Amen. And, uh, and that uh, the, the, the approach of love and of grace and forgiveness would be very contrary to the honor-shame uh, mm -hmm. culture that she might be used to or expecting. Acceptance by the new community is very important. Acceptance and belonging. Mm -hmm. They need to feel accepted and that their sin is not too much for God. Mm -hmm. Whatever they have done uh, can be cleansed by forgiveness and uh, transformation of a new lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you had to condense it to two things that non-Muslims could do uh, to really make a woman feel accepted, what could could you could you say what those are? What does it look like? To feel accepted? Yes. Um, 
the next word that comes to mind is not to be judged. Mm. Because uh, judging her adds to her own guilt. Uh, it would be uh, good to confront sin, but in a gentle way, as something, you know, like 1 Corinthians uh, 13.10 says, no temptation uh, that comes to man except that's common to all men. Mm. And God will provide uh, a way out um, and escape from the temptation. So if you could say, um, you know, we're all sinners and there's no sin bigger than the other before God. I think uh, forgiveness is a good message there mm. for, uh, for what happened before, but also hope. Mm. The Bible is all about hope. Uh, yeah, hope. Amen. Yeah, this is not the end uh, of your life. Um, and they usually become suicidal. They feel that there's no there's no solution for them. And they could be given case studies of how many women have made it very well uh, after they have committed this thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and their children are, you know, thriving and they're doing well. And so the future is better than their past. Mm. So they need that uh, message of hope, forgiveness and hope. That's great. That really is. And uh, just knowing the, <laughs> the uh, people who do work in the pregnancy help movement, uh, I can assure you that uh, those messages, that twin message of uh, forgiveness and hope is pretty much on the lips of every uh, every person in that movement. So, so I'm going to give you the opportunity to say one last thing to those who are listening. And what one thing would you say about reaching out and having, well, you've actually already said it, but I'll give you an opportunity to repeat yourself, uh, okay. about reaching out and having that conversation with a Muslim client who comes into our doors? I believe uh, maybe I didn't stress enough the necessity for them to feel your love. Mm. Uh, it's more than ideas, how to fix your problems and so on, but to actually know that you have loved them. And in my training, I never fail. I hope it's true that I never, never, they say never say never, never fail to stress that you cannot, you cannot express the love of God just by reading a verse about it or by telling them that God loves you. The only way to really help them understand God's love is that you love them. And when they sense you love them for who they are, the way they are, you don't love them so that they become Christian. It's not conditional of how they respond to you because the agape love of God is unconditional. He loves us as we are, even as sinners. And it's his love that draws us to him. So I believe that's the most important thing I can end with, is that make every effort to show that love in, in practical ways. Like if I want to love my wife, I need to be practical, not just tell her I love you, and then I never spend time with her. I, you know, I go with other women or... I travel and never come back home. Love is a practical thing. And God demonstrated his love very practically in sacrificing himself for us. 
and we need to be sacrificial in our love. And and uh, I've done research among 120, both men and women, who converted into Christianity or Christ, um, asked them a question, what motivated you? 85% said it's the love of a believer, love okay. of, a, of a Christian that showed me the love of God. And that's a study uh, I, I quote many times in my teaching. So that's, uh, that's my last message. God is love. I am love. I love okay. because God loves me and God loves the people that he died for. Well, amen. There's not a lot I need to add to that. This has been a really helpful and eye-opening conversation, George. Um, and I, I am quite sure it gives our listeners and our life-affirming um, team members a, a, a peg on which to hang their next conversation, uh, not just with Muslims, but with uh, anybody with, uh, with a different worldview, really. So um, thank you for your time and your work in uh, Lebanon and the 109 other countries God leads you to, uh, George. And God bless you in your work as well. Thank you for the honor of having me today. Christine. All right. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you, George. This has been absolutely fascinating to listen to. And uh, there's more to come. So if you're listening to this, you found this episode helpful. And maybe the last one we did on World Perspectives, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss another episode because we do have more in the works. So with that, have a great day. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast.